You know I'm gonna get you. Yeah. Whatever it takes to Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I am your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host Ed Birdsall. That intro, I had to mentally cut off the words fantasy show. I don't know if it come if it came across in how I said it, but mentally I was like, don't say fantasy show, don't say fantasy show. Instead of flying through the intro like you normally do, it definitely was more subdued, careful, and meticulously worded to make sure that you weren't going to just roll based on talk podcast and completely redo it. Cut yourself. Yeah, right. And then have to completely redo it and make my life even more difficult than it already is. Well, you're welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm very ready for football to be over with. Uh, congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams and my um, Arsenal owner, E. Stanley Cronkey. He can go fuck himself. Let's go, Bengals. I'll tell you what. I, uh, I'm i not shocked. I, say, I think I said this last time. I'm not shocked of either result, really. I'm not shocked that the Bengals won because the Bengals are they're a good team. I mean, listen, losses to Mike White happen. Mike White's the greatest of all time. Of course. Of course. So how can you how can you not lose to Mike White? But very understandable. But to uh, but when the Bengals play mortal teams that are not the Jets, then they're they're great. Patrick Mahomes has a poster of Mike White in his bedroom, according to sources. Yes. Patrick Mahomes is actually going to name his firstborn son after Mike White. According to sources, and sources do confirm to the Basement Talk podcast, because we are an official media conglomerate, Mike White will be named, Mike, Mike White Mahomes will be the name of Patrick Mahomes' firstborn. I completely butchered the fuck out of that punchline. Jesus Christ. That was brutal. I think Mike White might be the baby's godfather. Might be the baby's daddy. You know, I wasn't going to go there, but sure. Oh, but- I can go there. I can go there. I Listen, people expect it from me. They, they don't expect it from you, you very kind, innocent soul. All right, come on. Listen, don't be, don't be too disingenuous here. I'm not being very disingenuous. I, I am saying that people don't expect you to be outlandish. People would expect you to say, you know, fuck and shit and all those other swear words. Like, okay, okay. They're just, they're, they're just words. Who, who, who cares? Who cares? But who would they expect to go to the nth degree and take it maybe one step too far? Me. Am I wrong? No, you're not. I hardly ever am, Adam. And that is the point. Well, who is as we usually do, or as you and Jake usually do, because, you know, oh, I'm you not come on this. Too. You come on, too. I, I, when I introduced Jake on the on the uh, fantasy show, uh, I didn't call him a guest anymore because he just kind of, he, he's he's there. He, he's just a part of the program now, a part well, of the all... fantasy show rotation. It's, so it's, it's like you with, with the Basement Talk podcast. You're a part of the rotation. We're all coworkers. We are all co-workers in this media conglomerate. Yes. So it's it, the, the, whoever's going on what show, it just, it, it interchanges. Right. Exactly. So nobody's exclusive to one program. Correct. And Adam, I do have breaking news for you. I just won $95. 
Thank you, Mitch Marner. Thank you, Toronto Maple Leafs. I love you, beautiful people. That's a dangerous bet. Betting on Mitch Marner to score a goal. Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews to score. Maple Leafs over one and a half goals in the first period. And there was one more that I am forgetting about. Oh, Leafs money line. And it is four nothing Maple Leafs in the first period. So up the Leafs. I think it's go Leafs go. Up the Leafs. Whatever. Hey, up the Arsenal, up the Leafs. Same thing. Anyhow, who is your deep sleeper? Oh, wow. Okay. So there, there are a lot of, a lot of deep sleepers, a lot of things that I could uh, go and mention this week, but uh, the deepest sleeper of them all, I have to, I have to say, uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, I would be remiss in my duties as a Joe Burrow stand. If I did not mention how just fucking incredible he is. The dude's amazing. Dude's amazing. He is. I'm not going to go and say this. I've said it before, but I'm going to actually say it and mean it and back up my words here without the uh, the shadiness behind it. Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady. Here's why. He's got the confidence about him. He's got the swagger about him. He talks that talk. He walks that walk. I give him all the credit in the world for beating the Chiefs. That defense for the Cincinnati Bengals in that game, especially in overtime, they stepped it the fuck up. I give them all of the credit in the world. Congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals. Congratulations to the city of Cincinnati and to the state of Ohio. Because let's just face it, the state of Ohio has had some real bad heartbreaks in their in their history. They got to see the Cavs win, which was which which was nice. But really, it's just been the city of sports heartbreak. And they now get their moment on top of the on top of the peak. Well, they haven't won yet being in the Super Bowl. Well, like, hey, they treated that win like they won the Super Bowl. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. And all I can speak for all of my Cowboys associates, all of Cowboys Nation. When I say for one day and one day only, the Cincinnati Bengals are America's team. Let's go Bengals. Okay. And in case you were wondering, I did already bet their money line for the Super Bowl. In case you were wondering. Well, I don't, I didn't need to wonder all that much, but here we are. You know, I'm going to stick with the, trend that I set last time, which was I have multiple deep sleepers. I had one ready to go that I we actually talked about before going on air, but now I have a second one. Oh, my, first, sure. my first deep sleeper is the story of Icarus. I'm sure you're aware of the story of Icarus. Vaguely. You know, a man may a father makes uh, a pair of plastic wings for his son. His son uh, is flying with the plastic wings and the sun flies too close to the sun <laughs> yes. and the, the wings yes. melt and he falls and dies. I thought there was something specific, but if you're just going for the basis of the story of Icarus, yes, yes, I, I am. No, yeah, no, that's, that's the Cliff Notes version Got of it. it. So the Kansas City Chiefs in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game are as good of representation or 
they represented the Icarus story as well as anybody. Because that, what was it, third and goal with where Patrick Mahomes is just like, I'm going to do everything. It, sometimes I feel like Patrick Mahomes does too much on plays where he's like, he just doesn't take the easy throw or just throw the ball away. Like, please, for the love of God, somebody needs to teach Patrick Mahomes that it's only intentional grounding if you're out of the pocket. You can still throw the ball away or it's only, yeah, if you're in the pocket, it's only intentional grounding. Mm -hmm. You can still, you can throw the ball away if you're out of the pocket and there's no penalty because there are some times where he is like fucked over his team as a result of trying to be too cute. And that's what Tony Romo said, basically. You know, he's trying to be too cute. And then that throw in overtime, the interception, where he threw it into double coverage. I don't know. I feel like they were kind of pressing at that moment because they blew oh, they a 21 to 10 lead. And they're like, we really need to get back into this game. You know, the our carriage is turning into a pumpkin. And it felt like the, they were pressing. They were. They were. And it didn't help that basically for that entire second half they put up zero points so that well they put up three did, points yeah they put up three points three points that's that's not a Kansas City Chiefs offense that's not that's not an offense that that we know if they should or not but the Bengals adjusted and Joe Burrow adjusted as well and and I think in that that first half I, I was I was really wondering and saying to myself is is the moment is the atmosphere is it too big for him uh, the answer is no. That second half of that overtime, he he made some big, big, big throws, and you know, excuse me, we could talk about you know the Chiefs' defense kind of playing a bit soft, uh, Burrow being able to you know get Jamar Chase involved. If Chase only had two catches in the first half. There were a lot of different things that 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 you can say. Oh, that was the the, the turning point for for Cincinnati, but it was really more. I think for me, and, and I think Adam, maybe maybe you you'll agree, was it was just Joe Burrow. I think getting more and more comfortable, more and more confident, and once he finally grew into the game, it was it was go time from there. And you know, I think people want to talk about you know the two next big things at the quarterback position being Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I mean, you got to put Joe Burrow in that conversation as well. I mean, because he, I, I could argue, make the argument that Joe Burrow may have the highest ceiling out of Mahomes, Allen, and himself. That is crazy coming from you. Coming from you, that is absurd. I, I love Josh Allen. I love Josh Allen. I think that's the talent. All, all three of them to me are Hall of Fame talents. I, I, I believe that. But I think when we're talking about all of them, who is the guy that I think you could say at the end of the day, whole package is could be in the conversation to be the greatest quarterback of all time coming off of this, this win? I know it might seem like an overreaction, but I don't think it is. I think Joe Burrow is all the intangibles to maybe at the end of the day, if he can win a couple Super Bowls, be in that discussion. I, I truly believe that. And we're, we're, we're only in Joe Burrow's second year, which is – nuts which is nuts to me yeah i mean be careful honestly about anointing somebody as the greatest of all time oh i'm saying second it. year I, I i i'm saying it i'm saying it he i'm not saying he is going to be he's got a long way to go to be a montana or a brady 
But in terms of overall intangibles, yeah, like I, I, I will say that the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers only won one Super Bowl, but he's still the best quarterback that I've ever seen. Joe Burrow can win a Super Bowl and he could be, he's not even at the peak of his powers yet. When he gets to the peak of his powers in three, four years time, who knows what he's going to be? So I'm going to start, I'm going to start, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it that for me, yeah, he could be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He can be. I'm not saying that he is right now, but he can be. He has all the intangibles to be. Well, from a very selfish fan's perspective, it's going to be so fucking hard for the Jets to make it out of the AFC if they are looking to make it to a Super Bowl. It's going to be ridiculous. Very. I mean, you have Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Yeah, Justin Herbert. Um, Trevor Lawrence, if he comes around. Right. Trevor Lawrence, if he comes around. The Colts Mac Jones. With, their, with their defense, Mac Jones. Uh, Derek Carr. Uh, well, Carr may not be the starter in Las Vegas next year. He well, may not whoever, be back there. And, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers goes to that division yeah, with, that's, the, that's, with the Broncos. That's another caveat. If Aaron Rodgers goes to, goes to Denver, I mean, whew. Jeez, and I'll feel much better about Dallas and the NFC because you're already taking Tom Brady out of the mix. You take Aaron Rodgers out of the mix. Those are two top dogs right there. And then it's just, it's Dak, it's Kyler, it's, who am I missing? Stafford. Stafford. Yeah. I know I'm missing somebody else. That's Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Mitch Trubisky when he signs for the Giants. Whoever the 49ers quarterback is. It's probably going to be uh, Trey Lance. Because it does it yeah. does look like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get traded. I honestly I, I do think a great spot for Garoppolo would be uh would be with the Giants. I think that's a really, really good spot for him. And I mean we mentioned this on the uh, on the fans show, I don't give too much too much away, but we did mention um in just discussion about Jimmy Garoppolo where he could end up. Um, I did mention the Steelers. That could be a really, really good spot for him. It's like a bridge to get from Big Ben to their next franchise guy, having Jimmy Garoppolo be be that guy. I, I think that could be a really, really good spot for him. Yeah. And it all but guarantees basically that where the, the rookies are going to be primarily in NFC teams. Because it's like, it feels like every team in the AFC, except for maybe like the Texans and the Raiders, and the Steelers has their quarterback situation figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see where the quarterbacks this year go. I mean, we, we also had a tiny discussion on it. Not really a, a big one, but um, Jake is a big Malik Willis guy. I'm not huge on Willis. Uh, obviously you mentioned Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral. It, it's just kind of like, you know, it's a crapshoot with the quarterbacks this year. So you know, I think there's a lot of NFC, NFC teams that do need uh, those quarterbacks. You know, if Denver doesn't get Rodgers, then yes, they need a quarterback there too. Um, but hey, at least you could say no matter what, the Jets will never be as bad as the Houston Texans. No, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, Tampa Bay still has the worst. I think they still have the worst winning percentage, like all time. Tampa Bay? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, going Owen going Owen twenty four can do that. Can really put you in a in a deep hole. 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's if that's true. I believe it is. I'm taking your word for it because I, 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 I would assume it is. One second. Vamp but, for a bit. Yeah, but then, it, but then again, they that was a dog shit franchise before before Tom Brady went there and completely they changed won a the Super game. Bowl. They won yeah. a Super Bowl in 2002. 2002. Yeah, I, I believe me, I'm well aware. They've won division champion. What did they beat the Cowboys that year or something? No, oh. no. John Gruden was the coach of that team, and I love John Gruden. The human being, uh, maybe not. The coach, absolutely. John Gruden, the coach, is fucking incredible. So, I mean, and also they've won, uh, they won division championships. I think they won one division title under John McKay, believe it or not. I think in their really? third or fourth year. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, they were good in in the nineties. You know, the Bird Emanuel game, of course. Bless, bless up, John McKay. So here's the list of uh, here. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna feel generous because here's the five worst teams as far as winning percentage. The Jets are the sixth worst. Wow. But they've played 949 games as opposed to um, some teams have like 500. The Houston Texans have only played 321. Um, Teams in the 90s have played like 450-ish. But anyway, so Tampa Bay is the worst. They've played 725 games. They've won 291 of them. They've lost 433. And have tied once. Jeez. So that is a whopping winning percentage of 402. That's pretty bad. The Jacksonville Jaguars at 31. They've played 433 games. They've won 180. They've lost 253. And they've never tied. Ever. So, te- and, so technically speaking, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the worst team in the state of Florida. Yes. Uh, nice. And that's a winning percentage of 416. The Arizona Cardinals, who have played thir- or 1,395 games, they have won 577 of them. They have lost 777 and have tied 41 times for a winning percentage of 428. That's lovely. Yeah. Stunning record. In 29th place, the Houston Texans, who have played only 321 games, they have won 139, lost 182, and have never tied. For a winning percentage of 433. And then the fifth worst team in the NFL, for as far as winning percentage is concerned, the Atlanta Falcons. They have played 865 games. They have won... 376 and they have lost 483 and they have tied six times for a winning percentage of 438. Well, we got a history lesson folks on who the, who the historically the worst NFL franchises are. You know where the, you know where the Cowboys are? I'm going to say that they're bottom 15. No, you'd be surprised. Actually, are they top five. Yeah. Whoa. They're second. Oh, the second best team in the land. Who's first? Green Bay. 
I was going to say Green Bay was, was my guess. Where it's are the up, Giants that list? Just, just, just asking for a friend. Uh, they're 12. Ah, 12th. Ah, please. <laughs> I, I, I lift up my nose. Those Giants peasants. Um, also, the football team is at 18, and the Eagles are at 21st. Trash. So here, you want to hear the top five? Yeah. Green Bay. I'm not going to do the games again, but I'll do the winning percentage. Yeah. So Green Bay, 572. Dallas, 571. New England. Yeah. New England, 562. Chicago, 560. That's a a surprise. Well, Chicago's been around for a long time, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean they were they were pretty good, and they were Super very Bowl. good. Yeah, and recent then Bal- success would say otherwise. Yes, and then Baltimore at five sixty. Hmm, Baltimore. I know. Well, Baltimore, Baltimore have always been consistently very, very good. Don't say don't say that in front of Cleveland fans. <laughs> Sorry, Cleveland. The team was gift wrapped to the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's. Do you want to talk about Tom Brady? We can talk about whatever you want, Adam. You are, you are in the controls. Oh, really? You are in the controls. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. There is a list of things to talk about, and we can talk about whatever your heart desires. Well, I'm not in as much control as I think because I really wanted to make the intro to this ding dong the witch is dead. Because yeah, that's not happening. That's, that's my king. That's my king. Nah. I uh, hey, I'll give you a trade if you want to edit this whole show. You could put it in there. No. Okay, there you go. I'm good. I'll I'll pass. It's there not that, that important. There you go. It would be funny, but it's not that important. Uh, no, it would, be, it would be very, very heartbreaking to uh, all the Tom Brady stands out there like myself. Yeah. Although it is funny watching Patriots fans like cry themselves to sleep because Tom Brady didn't mention them, like barely mentioned them in his retirement speech or his <laughs> retirement letter. Oh, God. It's so ridiculous. He think. He thanked him. He's thanked him a hundred times. He did a whole fucking documentary based around his time in New England. What more thanks do you want, you fuckheads? I know the man is. Di- for, he just did for, a whole fucking documentary about New England. Time to for, what? what? What more thanks do you need? I spent nine hours of my life watching that documentary. I mean, for fuck's sake. He's done like two. This is his second documentary that yes. he's on. The one, the one that's currently running is his, the second for a relatively young guy, for a middle-aged guy. He 44. has a lot of documentaries about him. It's middle-aged. Yeah, he's middle-aged. Yeah. Yeah. He has good. a lot of he has a lot of documentaries about himself. Absolutely, as he should. As a as a well-documented man. Yeah. Man's the goat. Man's the greatest of all time. In football. Maybe. <laughs> Definitely in football. And yes. Absolutely 100%. The best. Uh, the absolute best. 
I don't know. The longer, the more, the longer I spend in this world, and the more I read about Wayne Gretzky's ridiculous video game stats, I think that Wayne Gretzky is the guy. Greatest athlete of all time is de- is definitely up for discussion. Because when you when you talk about the greatest athlete of all time, there's just so many different things you have to consider. You have to consider the the individual as well and their own skill with it. And I don't think longevity necessarily matters in that debate. I don't I don't think it does. Because if you, if you have a guy, it's like like Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders dominated the NFL, but his career was he decided to cut his career short. Bo Jackson, much much to the same story. Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, much to the same story as well. But Calvin, Calvin Johnson, there the, there's just so much shit that goes on when you start talking about his retirement. That you know, the, the, it was the he'd rather be retired than play for the Lions and 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 all of that. It, it, you just go deep into that 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 conspiracy rabbit hole when it comes to uh, when it comes to Calvin Johnson. But I mean, with 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 Tom, it, the thing I think that separates him from everyone else, at least in football, I, I'm not going to start the whole athlete discussion because that that's just that that's a lot to to go into. But it just you look at the success that Tom Brady has had over his entire career, rookie. Wins the Super Bowl. Like he started out winning and throughout his career was consistently winning. Like that to me is, 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 is insane. And if he did not lose three Super Bowls to the Eagles and then two to the Giants, the man would have nine fucking Super Bowls. That to me is nuts. And all those Super Bowls were decided by three trick plays or three lucky plays. Philly Philly, the bubblegum catch, and the Manningham tippy-toes on the sideline. Well, I mean, the other Super Bowls were also decided by that sort of thing. Sure. Malcolm Butler, Adam Vinatieri twice. Sure. Fair. John Casey kicking the ball out of bounds for no reason. John Casey kicking the ball out of bounds for no reason. Fair. Um, I mean, the Falcons being not knowing how to call plays and close out games. I, that That's just unbe- that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I don't think it's, that's, that's the fact that the Falcons just couldn't close that out. Yeah, there were mistakes along the way, sure. But that was just Tom Brady taking the game over and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this. In the documentary, that final drive in that 28-3 game, Brady said he was concussed out of his mind. On that on that game tying drive, sending it to overtime. That to me is insane. The man was concussed off his gills, and still decided that. Oh yeah, I, no, I'm in the Super Bowl right now. I'm I'm playing. Very reminiscent of the flu game, a little bit, where Michael Jordan like could could barely sit, and he uh, took the Bulls and won that game. <laughs> I think it's very, I think it's very different though. Cause you're talking about sickness versus a brain, a, a, a brain injury, air quotes, big time air quotes. No air quote. That it, well, head injury, injury, head injury. There you go. A, a head injury. No air when quotes. A concussion happens when your brain hits the, hits the inside of the skull. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's a brain injury. Mm -hmm. Well, some people would take brain injury and and say that's something completely different, but head injury, head injury is that it's not going to get lost in translation, but the man was severely concussed and still won a Super Bowl. That to me is just like, I've had a few, I've had a few concussions. Let me tell you, they are not fun. So the fact that that man in a stadium full of 80,000 people was able to, with all the screaming and yelling that was going on, my God, my head would have been ringing. I would have the, Adam, I'm not even kidding you. If I had to do that, I would be in the darkest of dark rooms for about a month. I wouldn't come out. Well, that's why I thought it was also crazy when like, I'm sure you remember when uh, Terrell Davis won that Super Bowl. I think it was 98 or 99. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was when, uh, my, when they beat migraines. Green Bay. Yeah, with migraines. Mm-hmm. Yep. How? How do you do that? Uh, I can tell you I get migraines consistently, and I have no idea. Because when I, when I have a really bad migraine, Adam, I'm in bed for the entire day. Like, I, I do not move. Like he could, like, I think he was saying at some point, like he could barely see, like he could barely see, like he had to go by, by his hearing and John Elway signals, like crazy shit. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what, what a really, really bad migraine does. It just takes away all of your senses, but, but it also heightens it. So I think with, with Terrell Davis in this instance, like you were saying, you know, his vision was gone pretty much, but everything else was just heightened to, to an nth degree. And I can't, I can't relate because I can hear freaking everything when I'm in bed dead to rights with, with, with a migraine. They're no fun. They're no fun. Anybody who's ever no. from migraines, no, shameless plug. Very, very, very shameless plug. Uh, Excedrin, extreme migraine. It's good stuff. All right. Not endorsed, not endorsed, but if, if, if Big Pharma wants to wants to endorse this podcast, we will uh, we'll, we'll 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 make an exception. Well, I think for Excedrin uh, Extreme Migraine because that that stuff oof, that stuff is lovely. Yeah. All right. You know, I didn't even go into my second deep sleeper. Oh. Okay. Well, let's let's rewind. Rewind. Because we were talking because I talked about the Icarus Smith and Kansas City and. We just went to this whole conversation about football. Yeah, yeah, it was but, na- natural. Yes, as we as we like to do here on the Basement Talk Podcast Network. It happens. It happens. So my second deep sleeper is Arizona State University. Go, Coach Herm. Love that. Love the man. Yes. Uh, wait. No. Yeah. No. Herm Edwards does coach the uh, the Sun Devils, but. This is the second. This will be the second team that the uh, Arizona State campus will host, as far as as far as I know. Because the Cardinals, I'm sure you you're aware, for a very long time played at Sun Devil Stadium. Yes, yes, that is that is true. And I, oh my God, the NHL, unbelievable that they're actually seriously considering having the Coyotes play in this 5,000 seat arena. I said it, I said it to, uh, to Matthew the, uh, the other day, I said, at this point, give up on hockey in Arizona 
take the Coyotes, move them back to Quebec, and boom, bring back the Nordiques. Done. So who then who are you going to move to the Western Conference to even everything out? Um, that is one that I haven't quite processed myself. Maybe Columbus. Probably Columbus. Move them back. Yeah, move Columbus back. That's probably the most logical one. Move Columbus back, move Buffalo in the Metropolitan, Mm -hmm. and then have the Nordiques be in the Atlantic. Correct. Yep. Yep. Boom. Done. But yeah, this is, this is like such a, this is like, uh, they're certainly at the bargaining stage as far as like the five stages of grief at this point. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. I don't really know what could get much worse from here if you're uh, if you're a fan of the Arizona Coyotes because now I mean they, I mean look, look let's face it they were struggling to fill out a seventeen thousand seat arena uh, and if they if they are having issues filling out a five thousand seat arena that's just that, that's bad that's well, bad news it wouldn't be because they don't have fans because the fans don't want to support the team oh no it's just the product in that regard the product sucks. That too, and they haven't been good really outside of, outside of a couple of years since they moved to Arizona from yeah. Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't. Adam, you can tell me if I if I'm wrong with this because obviously we've seen the Coyotes in the playoffs and we know that there are hockey fans there. They made it to the Western Conference Finals in this decade. Mm-hmm. They did. I just don't know if the Arizona market for hockey is going to be what it would, what it would be in Quebec. I don't know. Even I feel like, I don't know. Cause like, I know like there are still fans of the Nordiques, I guess, kind of in the way that people, that there are still fans of the whalers. They're still bitter about what happened with that team. Yeah, that's fair. So, because really, if you're, if you're born in Quebec and like, let's say maybe your parents, like they were Nordiques fans and they're like, Oh, well, maybe I'll switch sides. I don't know. It's weird. Cause I've never like for, I've never been in a situation where a team in our market has relocated. I mean, there were rumors of the Islanders relocating, but do you think, but do you honestly think like if the Islanders re- relocated, do you think that all the Islanders fans would just be Rangers fans? Like that, that doesn't no. really make a lot of sense. No, 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 no. I don't know how that would really work if there are still Nordiques fans left, or maybe they're Avalanche fans now because they used to be Nordiques fans, and I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess then you can kind of spit, you can kind of spin it to talking about the NFL. I mean, this is what we do. We fall back in the NFL here here on this podcast, but this is this is, a, a, I think, a good comparison. Look at the Rams fans. Where's the where where did the Rams fans in St. Louis go? Did they? just turn to support the Los Angeles Rams. I don't know. Maybe and like, what about Oakland and San Diego? That, that I think is more, is more of that's more of a tougher one to sell just because the Raiders are such a massively popular team across the country. So I think you're going to have Raiders fans, no matter where you look. 
Whereas the Rams, I don't know if the Rams are, you, you would consider them to be like a top 10 noticeable name in the sport for like neutrals. Same thing with, same thing with the Coyotes. I think the Coyotes are bottom five in terms of most marketable team in, in the NHL. I mean, I, I Adam, do you, would you agree? Would you disagree? Well, I would agree with that, but I don't know. I think the Rams are pretty recognizable. I mean, they were in a Super Bowl in within the last five years. Yeah. I mean, okay. All right. So, so then you have the Packers who are more recognizable. You have Dallas who's more recognizable. You have the Patriots who are more recognizable. You have the Chicago Bears who are more recognizable just because they're a historical team in, in, in the sport. Just I would the say the Bucks. I would say the Bucks because of because of Brady. Yeah. Um, the Raiders. The Chiefs, that's seven. What about the New York teams? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'd put the New York teams in there. Yeah, Jets and Giants. Yeah, and and then probably the Steelers. I knew I was missing one other big one, the Steelers. Same, boom. That's ten teams right there. Are the Rams more recognizable than any of those teams for the just the common neutral? Probably not. No, probably not. I'll be the hey, top 15. Yeah. Yeah. Top 15. Because they're in a big market. They're, they're, they're in LA. But then again, they are also, they are also in a market where the fans don't really give a fuck about football. And, and I, I, I love LA. It's my favorite place on earth, but that's just the truth. They don't care about football. Well, they don't care about professional football. Uh, they don't care about professional football yet. Yeah, they love the USA. They don't care about professional football. As, as evidenced by the sea of red that was in E. Stanley Kroenke's home on Sunday. That was a home game for the 49ers. You cannot convince me otherwise. I know. And, and there was we – were, I was watching the game with a couple of friends of mine, and one of my buddies said that the, the crowd looked really into it. And I had said kind of like tongue-in-cheek, but in a half way, I was kind of like, huh. Maybe that maybe E. Stanley Kroenke in his bazillions had a mechanism to pipe in some crowd noise to make it seem like that the Rams fans were actually cheering. Listen, the Atlanta Falcons got like draft picks taken away for doing that, or they got fined for doing that. Yeah, they got fined. Yeah, they yeah. got fined. E. Stanley Kroenke has enough, has enough money, though. I mean, I tell, so, so does Arthur Blank. I mean, the guy founded Home Depot, for fuck's sake. Yeah, co-founded Home Depot. Co-founded Home Depot, yes. I think the other guy lives in Sands Point, or like he has a house in Sands Point. Really? Wouldn't shock me. No, it wouldn't shock, it wouldn't shock me either, because I think Arthur Blank is, is, is from New York. Well... If what I'm else? Not, you know? If I'm not mistaken, I think he's from Queens. I could be wrong. I could be making that up. But I believe he is from Sunnyside, New York. Sunnyside, Queens. There you go. Bang. I am Sunnyside, a Queens. I know my shit. I, I, Adam, I'm telling you. Anybody wants to go wants to go on the quizitational, they want to challenge me, bring it on. I know my shit. People, people think that I just ask questions to the contestants on the quizitational that I don't know. Bullshit. Every question that I ask, I know the answer to. Yes. Kenneth Langone 
is the co-founder of Home Depot. Yes, that's the guy. You may you may have heard his name whenever you go to the doctor. It's the same guy. That's the guy. Yep, that's the guy. It says he lives in Rosalind Heights, but I don't think. Or he's born in Rosalind Heights. So he probably does have a house in Sands Point. Probably. Oh, All yeah, right. no. He lives in Sands Point, New York. Yep. Look at that. Beautiful place. It is, actually. It's gorgeous Sands Point. I had my prom there. It was a cat. It was we had our prom at the Sands Point, uh, the Sands Point Preserve, in a castle. Very nice spot. Yeah, we had a red carpet and everything. It was crazy. A red carpet for a prom? Oh my god! Give me. Do you a have break. any idea how bougie my high school was? I, that's right. I forgot you were in, you were all from Port Washington. Yes, yes, yes. You are from Port Washington. Gold Coast. Bougie, very bougie, man. Drink it in, man. Yeah. So we had we had a red carpet. It was the most awkward thing I've ever done in my entire life. Did you strut down the carpet? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I did that. Did your hips don't lie, Adam? Shakira, Shakira. Under advisement from my legal counsel, I will not answer that question. Perfect. We all know the answer. You've you've said enough just in that sentence. All right. Well, so let's talk about transfers. I love transfers. Transfers are always fun, especially when I don't know. After the Champions League final, I was like, I kind of like fell out of what. Like I watch Ben City when they're on. But I don't know if I follow them as closely. I was like, man, we were so close. If only Pep Guardiola wasn't such an asshole. Or if if wasn't if if only Pep Guardiola wasn't also a representation of the Icarus Smith. That's fair. That's very fair. But um, and also, you know, last year was my off year for FIFA. So I uh, am now learning where everybody is now because it's a little different. Ah, lots changed. Yes. Uh, let's talk about Barcelona. Sure. By the way, before we go, before we go into anything, um, you can get this article, uh, talkingpointsports.com. I will leave a link to the article in the, uh, in the description of the episode. So it'll be there for anyone to digest. Very nice plug. Thank you. I'm so, good at that. Yes. By the way, the Ranger game is 2-2. Nice. Alexi, Alexi Lafreniere. Oh, young king. Young king. And Sam Reinhart for the Panthers. Fuck him. So anyway, let's talk about Barcelona, who are in absolute crisis. I mean, fifth in the league. It, they might as well be in the relegation. They might as well be in the relegation zone. Yeah, for fifth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what a crazy table for La Liga: Real Madrid, Sevilla, Real Betis, and Atletico. Yep, that's your top four. How yeah, nuts for, is that? And for a while, for the first couple months of the season, it was Real Sociedad at the top, and they've could just completely fall it off. I don't know if complete. They're still sixth. Well, they've completely fallen they're, off that first. 
That's true. They're one point behind Barcelona. Yep. But Barcelona's getting some help. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and a ton of areas. Uh, first, I mean, we'll start with uh, Adama Traore from uh, Wolves. Straight loan going back to Barca, where it where it all began for him. Again, I, I don't think that this is uh, this is one that it's not a huge risk at the end of the day. I mean, it's just, it's a straight loan to the end of the season. Xavi gets to add some attacking uh, prowess to to his ranks. Where you know, let's just face it, there's one area where Barcelona absolutely needed to improve in this window. However, they could do it. It was going to be get goals in, in, into into that team, and they were able to do it through the signing of Ferran Torres in this window, through Adama Traore, and then through next guy that we're going to going to talk about. And this is one, this is one that I'm just um, dreading, dreading to, uh, to talk about. And that is uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going from Arsenal to, uh, to Barcelona. This was supposed to be where he was going to go. If he did not resign uh, that new contract with, with Arsenal, uh, he resigned and it all spectacularly fell apart uh, with him and uh, Mikel Arteta. Uh, the good news though, for, for Arsenal is that um, from what I understand that the Gunners are going to save in the range of 25 million on Aubameyang's overall salary. So that is null and void. So that is a little small consolation though. That's, I mean, that's fantastic that you don't have to pay those wages for another 18 months. I mean, that's, that's huge for a club like Arsenal who, I mean, let's face it. They're not a European team at the moment they're not playing in europe i mean they are playing in europe but you get you get my gist they're not playing in european competition so you know having a, a, an earner such as that where he's making i believe the number was around 350 grand a week um in in, in number off the books now i mean that's that's huge that's huge and you know obviously the goal for for, for arsenal is to to get back into the top four get back into the champions league and then, you know, with that Champions League money, with uh, the money that they have in their reserves, which from what I understand was there and was available, they could have used it. They were going to use it if they were going to land uh, a former Fiorentina striker, Dusan Vlavic, uh, from Fiorentina, who ended up moving to Juventus, who I'm sure we will be uh, talking about at some point. The money was there, and they just decided that, you know, we're good with what we have, and we'll wait until the summer. I don't know if that was the right move. Me personally, I don't think it was. But, you know, that's a, that's a wait and see. I mean, look, at this point, I'm going to trust Arteta's judgment on it. If he thinks we're good, then I got to back my manager. And I got to say that we're good. But for me, to to let a player like Aubameyang go, former club captain, goal scorer, talisman, it, it, it's a, it's a really, 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 really tough sell for me. And uh, yeah, I, and I really think that this decision with Aubameyang is either going to really get people to back Arteta or if Arsenal finish outside the European places again, it's going to really, really backfire on Edu, the uh, director of football. And Mikel Arteta, and and in a big way, in a big big way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, what does this mean for Alexander Lacazette? Also, because he was also rumored to be leaving. 
Yeah, yeah, and there, there was actually from uh, from what I understand through a couple of sources uh, that Leon actually came in and offered Lacazette um, a move in, in this window to to make a permanent move away from from Arsenal, and of course there were the links with Eddie Nketiah, with Crystal Palace, and then with Newcastle in the final days of the window, both ended up staying. Lacazette and Nketiah are both out of contract in the summer. So, I mean, look, this rebuild, while it is going nicely, it's projecting, I think, how it should. There comes a time for everything. And, you know, you can't just be taking, you know, going from one step to the other and to the other to the other. You need results. And if we're going to go into six years, I believe it's going to be if we don't get into the champions league this year, it's going to be really, really hard. I think for fans to get behind this project that Arteta, Edu, Josh Kroenke, chief executive, Benai Van Kantasham are trying to build at, at, at the club. It's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, but I agree. But if Arteta gets it right, it's a masterstroke. That's just that's just the way it's going to work. Well, it's definitely a gamble. It's a massive gamble, huge, huge. But yeah. what it means for for Barca, they're getting it out and out number nine, and we're really we're really going to see if Aubameyang was truly finished or not with how he fares at Barcelona. Because for me, the first half of the season this year, uh, Aubameyang just looked very. Um, at times disinterested and, and, and out of it. So I'm very, very, very curious to see if he's just done or if the way Arsenal were playing just didn't fit him. But I, for me, I think it's going to work quite well for, uh, for Aubameyang at, uh, at Barcelona. And I love the man. I love you, Alba, and uh, all the best. You know, Bird... Looking at this article by this guy, whoever he is, at talking, Schmuck. Point, at talking Point Sports, it's always funny to see the connections and you know, new faces and new places. You have Antonio Conte at Spurs now, and he's been at Spurs for a while, um, and now his uh, former player, who he didn't like, is coming back to the Premier League, but not for Spurs. The, the best, the best move of the window by a sizable amount is Christian Eriksen going to be making his return to football to the Premier League with with Brentford under countrymen, fellow countrymen, fellow Dane, uh, Thomas Frank, and obviously everyone remembers uh, the the scenes at the Euro when Christian Eriksen had his uh, cardiac event on uh, on the pitch, and it's it, hell, it's a miracle he's alive let alone that he's going to come back and, and, and play football again. And uh, yeah, he's going to be making a sensational return to football with Brentford. And I hope wherever he goes, he is given the, the best ovation humanly possible because honestly, he, he deserves it. He absolutely does. And I think it's it, it, from a football sense, it's a brilliant signing for Brentford because at the end of the day, you're getting a player that if he can get back to his best, this is someone that can be absolutely world-class and be a vital part of Brentford trying to uh, be a middle of the table sort of team. 
at worst, you know, you're getting someone that's going to come in there and be a great influence on the young players at Brentford. So all in all, I think it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous signing that Brentford made. And I, I just, I honestly, this is one of those where I don't think, I honestly, I don't think that there could be any downside to this at all. It's, it's a win-win. Just having him yeah. in the building is a huge win. Absolutely. And this Christian Eriksen really does feel like a guy who could succeed in Brentford's system where he's, he's done it before. You know, it's very, it's what, am I wrong in saying that Brentford and Tottenham when uh, Christian Eriksen was, was in his prime there, they play very similar styles of football. Very similar. Very similar. I think it's really, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he does start consistently where he's best utilized if he's utilized utilizes an eight or if they want to play him more as a more as a 10 i i think his best position probably for brentford is probably an eight i think that's where he'll probably end up playing it's like sort of like that 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 player that just kind of links everything together between the defense then to the attack i think that's probably his best position but obviously but yeah i mean this is unbelievable signing for for brentford and i am over the boom over the moon. This this is the, the again the best signing of the window. If for anything else, for emotional reasons. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the new guys, huh? Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spent the most money in the window. Spent ninety three million pounds in the, in uh, in this January window. Um, obviously, the the two that won't be uh, discussed, given they were signed before. Uh, the deadline, Kieran Trippier and Chris Wood from Atletico Madrid and Burnley, respectively. Um, Trippier, obviously, he is a full England international. He is a brilliant, brilliant player, and he's going to be someone that is going to make an immediate impact, I think, for for Newcastle, for sure. Uh, Chris Wood. His, he really resurrected his career at Atletico. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and uh, he... Had his time at at Spurs, and at the end of the day, you know, he decided pastures anew to to Spain. Still a big part of the of the England team, and he's going to be a big reason if if Newcastle are able to to stay up. He's going to be a big reason why, especially as a, as a right back, someone who is a, a veteran in, in that team, a leader in that team. Um, he is going to be a, a very 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 big piece for. Uh, for Newcastle uh, going forward. Chris Wood, someone's just there to score goals. Big, tall player. Could be a threat set pieces. Uh, an accurate shooter. So it's a, it's a good signing for uh, for Newcastle, especially in the department where they are lacking uh, a little bit of goals and trying to add a bit more uh, to their uh, to their attack. They also bring in Matt Target from, uh, from Aston Villa. It's, it's, it's a very, very standard, I think, signing. They need a left back. They were in on Luka Dean from Everton who ended up signing with Aston Villa. So at the end of the day, uh, they just end up going Newcastle, just end up going to Aston Villa and getting Matt target who could be their left back for the remainder of the season until they can go and sign a more permanent option in, uh, in the summer. Uh, they also go out and they sign Bruno Grimaish who, I mean, hell, I wanted Grimaish to go to, uh, to Arsenal. Uh, there was reports about him. Uh, joining Arsenal. Uh, he was also linked with Manchester United, with PSG, Juventus. Uh, but at the end of the day, he signs with Newcastle. And 
I think the one thing that's very interesting about about uh, the Gormash signing with Newcastle is with a lot of other contracts, especially with these relegation threatened teams, a lot of these players do have relegation clauses in those contracts. Whereas with Gourmarche and with Trippier, there are no relegation clauses in their contracts from what I understand. So there's a possibility that Bruno Gourmarche and Kieran Trippier are playing in the championship next year. There, there is that possibility. Oh man, that would be crazy. Well, it's also, it's kind of like uh, when Wolves got their takeover and they send Ruben Neves to play in the championship. Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Only at, at the time, Ruben Neves was not was not a, a fully recognized international, whereas Bruno Bruno Gormaish is a full Brazilian international, and, and so Kieran is Trippier is yeah. the is the starting right back as of right now for the World Cup team for England. Yeah, which is which is nuts. Which is nuts. Um, but I mean, forty million. That's a player that. Is going to be the anchor of a midfield for uh, for Newcastle, and they they get their guy, and they also sign Dan Byrne from Brighton Hove Albion, uh, makeshift sort of piece. They were very very interested in Sven Botman and Diego Carlos from Lille and uh, Sevilla, but could not get those deals over the line. So they settle on Dan Byrne, who should come in and be a uh, be a stopgap stopgap option until the end of the season and two more things with uh with with newcastle maybe maybe one uh no two uh they were attempting to hijack the move of deli alley to everton at the last minute but deli alley did decide to go to everton obviously the the frank lampard effect uh definitely helped there and they also were the front runners to land jesse lingard from uh, Manchester United, but that did not go through due to Manchester United wanting a relegation bonus if Newcastle avoided the drop via the help of Jesse Lingard, which uh, from what I've been told was in the range of around 20 million euros, which was never going to happen. That's like a thing that you like, if you don't want a deal to go through, that's what you do. You put that clause in there. It's like, yeah, there's no way they're going to take it. And it's like, if well, they take it, then Mazel tov. But if not, well, that was their then, way, that was their way whatever. of also getting that was their way of getting a transfer fee for for Lingard, who's out of contract in the summer. But I always think it's a it's a way of trying to take some money out of Newcastle as well, because I think I think at the end of the day, Manchester United, as you know, everybody should, as West Ham should, as Arsenal should, as Tottenham should, as Liverpool should, Chelsea, Man City, they should see Newcastle as a threat, given their deep, deep pockets. And I think, you know, when we get, you know, three, four years time, we're going to see Newcastle be a, be a really, really, really big threat. Uh, unless, of course, they are relegated, which would just bring a ripe bull smile to my face. Me too. Well, I think when, uh, when Man City got the, uh, got the takeover, they were, Man City were paying out the nose for players because teams knew that they had the money to do it. And like, well, you just got that big takeover. You can't pay you can pay an extra, like what, 15 million for Rubinho. Like, you know, uh, when Man City initially went on that spending spree, when the uh, takeover first happened, you know, they, they were, yeah, 
they were paying a lot more than they probably should have for some of those players. And a lot of those signings didn't really work out except for one in particular. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. And then, yeah. and then they may have just found the next, that guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, you want, you want to talk about Man City? Yes. Uh, Julian, Julian Alvarez. Yeah. He's, guy. he's a fantastic player. He, he really is. And he probably is, I think in my estimation, the best South American young player in the world right now. Um, he has just been unbelievable this season for River Plate, and he'll be going back there on loan for the remainder of the season, and then he will arrive in the summer to Manchester to work with uh, Pep Guardiola. And I, I got some questions about this too to uh, address um, in the article. I didn't address it specifically in the article, but I'll address it here. From what I understand, this does not take Man City out of the race for Erling Holland. That City are very interested in Holland. It's just the real question of is Holland interested in Man City? And from what I understand, the answer is no. That Holland is not interested in Man City. He's not interested in Liverpool, and he is not interested in Chelsea. That Holland Ooh, wants to go. He wants to go either to Bayern or he wants to go to Spain. Now, Bayern, there's the question now with Lewandowski. Does Lewandowski stay in Bavaria? Does he sign a new contract there? If he doesn't sign a new contract there, and does he, does Robert Lewandowski then potentially go to England? Does Lewandowski go to Man City? Does he go to Chelsea? Does he go to Liverpool? Oh my God, stop. Robert Lewandowski on on Man City would be, I, oh my God. There, there's the potential. There, there's the potential for that. And if if Bayern do lose Lewandowski, or if Lewandowski wishes to leave, then you know, is there an opening for Holland at Bayern? And the answer is yes. There, there, there is, and it would make sense. There'd be a natural replacement there. But at the end of the day, it looks like that Spain is where he wants to go, uh, with Barca and Real Madrid, obviously mentioned as the most likely uh, landing spots. But if uh, Kylian Mbappe is going to go to Real Madrid, which all signs are pointing towards that is going to be the case. Then it just looks like that the one remaining club in it for Holland would be uh, would be Barcelona. If speaking he, of if he's going to go uh, to Spain, speaking of nonsense players on teams, you got a strike partnership of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Erling Holland. Dortmund fans, I think, would uh, would be salivating from the mouth. Also, I take offense to the fact that Erling Holland doesn't want to play for Man City. His dad played for Man City. Well, his dad I, I, didn't get kicked in the nuts by Roy Keane to have him not want to go to Man City. Well, from from what I understand, it's not that he doesn't want to play for Man City. Obviously, the the appeal of playing for Man City is huge. isn't that what you said though. Well, uh, he doesn't want to play for Man City, but it's not that he doesn't want to play for Man City. Like he respects the club, he respects the potential salary that Man City would, said, would pay him. You just said the same thing. <laughs> but I'm telling you the reason why. The reason why he does not want to play for Man City is because he does not think he's a fit for what Pep Guardiola would want from a striker, and that's partially correct. Erling Holland is a strict goal scorer. That's what he is. If you are a center forward playing in a Pep Guardiola system, you need to do more. Than just score goals, and but Sergio Aguero did. Absolutely, he did. Yes, Erling Holland 
Aguero, I think, was molded into that. Can Holland be molded into that? Eh, probably. He could. He's talented enough. That's probably why Pep Guardiola signed Gabriel Jesus because he didn't think that Sergio Aguero was a fit in the system because Sergio Aguero is a pure goal scorer. Yeah, but I also think the thing that he that, that Gabriel Jesus offers as well is that Gabriel Jesus can play all over. He can play on the wings. He can play centrally. He can play um, just behind the striker if need be. He he has that versatility. Whereas Holland, Holland is out and out number nine. You can't play him anywhere else. And he knows Erling Holland knows that he could go anywhere else, be a strict goal scorer, and that's it. And get paid very 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 handsomely to do it. And um, for me, the one that I'm looking out for is, is Real Madrid with him. Because if, if you can say to me, they have just another another shining moment where, you know, they bring the Galacticos 3.0, you know, whatever Galacticos were on uh, when they decide to splash for Mbappe. If they can splash out for both Mbappe and Holland and have Mbappe, Holland, and I mean, I guess, you know, you have Benzema there as well. I mean... Oh my lord! Yeah, That's... and you have uh, Eden Hazard, who's still lurking. Gareth yeah, Bale. yeah. Well, he's he's probably good as gone for me. I think he's probably going to go back to uh, to England at some point. Probably going back to to, to Chelsea. Probably. Yeah. Well, that'd be a good signing, though. Yeah. Yeah. It would. It would. It, it would be. I mean, I. I I don't really know what Chelsea really need at this stage. I was, I mean, obviously they're going to, they're probably going to need uh, defenders at some point because of um, Antonio Rudiger probably leaving same thing with uh, Andreas Christensen leaving. So they probably are going to need uh, a center back at some point. Jules Kunde from uh, Sevilla was mentioned potentially going to uh, going to Chelsea, which would be a good, a good, a good signing for them. Uh, but I think in terms of attack, I, I think Chelsea are, are kind of they're kind of set. They were linked with uh, Usman Dembele from from Barcelona on deadline day, and it just didn't uh, materialize. Obviously, the Dembele links are they, they should just fit like it's a glove, just because of uh, Usman Dembele when he was the most expensive transfer for a hot minute before Neymar came in and smashed that. Um, from Dortmund to Barcelona, Dembele, who was his coach at Dortmund. Yep, that's right, Thomas Tuchel. Oh, it's Thomas Tuchel. So the, the, the connection makes sense. The connection and makes Barcelona sense. has been trying to get rid of his one Dembele forever. Yeah, yep, yeah. In, Almost like since they signed him, they've been trying to get rid of him again. Yeah, and, in, and even uh, I think it was uh, today or it was last night, I'm not sure exactly when the uh, when the quotes were, uh, were mentioned, but uh, Barca president Joan Laporta basically said he has no idea why Usman Dembele stayed at Barcelona, which is just kind of like, wow, fuck you. Can you imagine if you're, you like come into work and like your boss has like a company wide announcement. They're like, man, I really don't know why you didn't leave this place. Yeah. And he says that in front of everybody. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if Dembele already has a uh, pre-contract deal already worked out. Hence why he's completely content with just staying in Barca for the remainder of the season. And then in the summer, he's able to choose whatever club he wants to go to. And obviously, you know, PSG uh, have been sniffing around 
And of course, there's always going to be the links with with Chelsea as, as well. And then from what I heard is uh, from what I heard like a long shot, uh, Tottenham could be specific around that. But after they uh, made the loan move for uh, Kulisevsky, I think they're probably out of that. Yeah, you know what? I'm happy that you mentioned Tottenham because this is the last thing we're going to talk about. I cannot believe I just said that sentence to you. I'm happy that you mentioned Tottenham. I I, I can't believe it either. But we're going to talk about uh, a couple guys who are going to Tottenham and a couple of former Tottenham players who are leaving. Yeah, they, they, they were they were busy. They were they were definitely busy. We'll start with the uh, with the outgoings. Um, Tenge and Dombele going to uh, Olympic Lyon, going back to to Lyon, and I, I that's a it's, a it's a stunning one for me because Lyon, of course, sold and Dombele to uh, to Tottenham for sixty five million euros. And now he's loaned back to Leon with a, you guessed it, 65 million euro buy option. Just to get Oh, the really? Money. Well, the schmuck that wrote this article wrote $54 million. 54 million euros. Uh, oh, 54 euros. million pounds, excuse me. Pounds. 50, 54 million pounds, 65 million euros. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, that's good friend Dombele. I think he's going to go back to a place where he's wanted, feels important, and he's going to play a whole lot, especially as the... Natural replacement for uh, Bruno Gromaich, of course, who went to uh, Newcastle at the uh, at the deadline. That's uh, crazy because that that signing, though, like everybody thought when that signing happened, and this was like three managers ago for Tottenham. And yeah. when that when that signing happened, it was everyone was like, "Wow, this is really great for them. They're going to have the holding midfielder of the future." And then it just did not work out for some reason. No, it did. It did not work out, and I I, I don't think it helped that literally within months of Mauricio Pochettino signing him, he was ousted as Spurs boss. It did not help him at all. And then, of course, he went from Pochettino to, uh, I believe, for the end of the season, it was, oh, who was the caretaker manager after? It was Letley, it was Letley King and Ryan Mason. That's who it was. Letley Ryan King Mason and, again? Letley King and, and Ryan Mason. I believe so. Oh, no, no, no. It went from Mauricio Pochettino. I was going to show you how, how much I give a fuck about Spurs. It was Pochettino. Then it went to, then Mourinho came in right away, and then once Mourinho was sacked, it went from then it went to Ledley King and then to Ryan Mason. Then after that, it was Nuno, and then after Nuno, it was to Conte. So, I mean, the guy that brought him in was Pochettino, and then when Pochettino was gone, kind of useless, and it, it, it explains a lot too. That Ndombele was um, was very close to securing a loan move to PSG to go with yep. Poch. I, not a, not a big surprise uh, there at all. But goes back to Leon, and he should be a uh, a, a massive part of Leon's fight to uh, get back into uh, into the Champions League. Uh, Deli Alley going from Tottenham to to Everton. Uh, this is all Frank Lampard. It it, it is uh, Frank Lampard. I think if there's one manager, one person that I think could really relate to Deli Alley and the way that he plays, it is Frank Lampard because Frank the kind of midfield that Frank was is exactly the kind of midfield that Deli Alley is likes to get into the box, likes to score goals, likes to really get forward, link the play together that's exactly the kind of midfielder that Frank Lampard was and Deli Alley is and if there's anybody that can really get to Deli Alley it is Frank Lampard. Now, 
what I found to be quite interesting is it's a 10 million euro fee once Deli Alley has registered 20 games for Everton. And then if further clauses are met, it could reach about 40 million pounds, which I don't think it's going to. I really I mean, hope it doesn't because Deli Alley is Deli Alley is not worth 40 million. No way. Not now. Maybe in his prime he was worth 40 million. Oh, in, in his in his prime, I believe. Uh transfer market had him valued at, at around 60. I could look I can look that up. Transfermarket.us. Fantastic, fantastic site. So Deli Alley at his prime, his prime value at the peak of his powers, Adam. He was, come on, give me the oh, market value. There we go. Got to look for it. At the peak of his powers in Dece- December of 2018, Deli Alley was worth 98 million pounds. Wow. Peak of his powers. Yep. Which was post-World Cup and Spurs were in the midst of their run to the Champions League final. Right, and you got to remember that 2018, that 2018 World Cup, Delhi Alley was a huge part of Gareth Southgate's England team, which yeah, is what I'm saying. nuts. Yep, which is absolutely nuts. That 2018, when he was 22 years old, he was a huge, a huge player for England, and now he's struggling to get into the England team. Uh, you know, hey, I wish the best ever. I think I think there really is still a player in there. Um, and I think there's one guy that's going to get the most out of it. It is uh, Frank Lampard. And then you had Brian Heal going to Valencia. Of course, Brian Heal, the uh, the piece that came over in the Eric Lamella swap from uh, Sevilla. Good opportunity for him to get some game time at Valencia and only 20 years old. He should be totally fine. Not really worried about that at all. And a man who wasn't playing um, at Spurs goes to Villarreal. Giovanni Lo Celso uh, goes to uh, work with Unai Emery, who made a personal call to him to tell him to come to Villarreal, and he did. And at that point, rejecting a loan move to Olympic Lyon, who then went and signed Tangi Anobile. So not too bad. Uh, all in all, everyone wins in this situation. Uh, the incomings for Spurs, uh, Rodrigo Bentancur, uh for £16 million. A bit part player, Juventus. This one I don't think really moves me. One way or the other, um, is a talented player. I'm not going to say that he's not, but I think uh, under under Antonio Conte, what he does better than anybody is really get the most out of his players. And I think someone that he is familiar with, given his experience with uh, with Serie A, uh, this one makes a lot of sense. And then the one that I really really love, one of my favorite players uh, in world football, is uh, Dejan Kulusevski, uh, the Swede. And this one is not necessarily Antonio Conte. This actually is uh, director of football Fabio Paratici. Uh, who actually bought Kulisevsky when uh, Paratici was the director of football at Juventus, bought him from Atalanta, and now brings him aboard at Tottenham. It's an 18-month loan and a £30 million obligation to buy at the end of the 18-month loan. So next summer, uh, there will be the obligation to buy for Kulisevsky, and he's still only 21. So a huge, massive signing for Spurs. I think someone at the end of the day could be a really big foundational piece for, for Spurs and whatever future that they have. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, last I, one. I was going to say, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about one more very, very quickly. Is a, it who I'm thinking of? It might be. It's a good friend of mine. Does he have four names? Oh, no, never mind. No, he is not, he does not have four names. But yes, I do want to talk about that one as well. Um, we'll talk, actually, we'll talk about that one first. Go ahead. Uh, Donnie Van de Beek. It uh, brings me great joy to see Manchester United just waste uh, just waste money and be a worse team as a result. Yeah, it's it's a shame that Dennis Bergkamp's son-in-law just did not have the uh, necessary game time at Manchester United. And now he gets an opportunity now with Everton. And they're just completely revamping their midfield. This is the Frank Lampard effect again. And yeah, I, I'm really, really impressed at the at the business that Everton have done in just terms of uh, Van de Beek and Deli Alley. This should be a good start for Everton. They have to restart their campaign, have to make sure they do whatever they can to stay up. And then once they do, you go from there. But if you're looking for someone to build a program and looking for someone to bring a bit of stability back to Goodison Park, the man to do that is Frank Lampard, and he's able to do that and bring in two very, very good young players in this window, Donny van der Beek and Deli Alley. God, that entire paragraph. If you had told, if you had said that exact thing word for word verbatim a couple of years ago, I would have called you crazy. Really, really crazy. But, but I Frank think Frank Lampard needs to bring in Deli Alley and Donny van der Beek to keep Everton out of the relegation zone is a sentence that I never thought I would hear in my entire life. Yeah, I also, I also think that Deli Alley and Van de Beek are going to be players that are going to benefit from being on a smaller stage to then build their way up again, especially Van de Beek. Like, I think I think Alley, this is kind of a really good place for him with, with, with Frank, but I think with Van de Beek, he needed this long move more than anything just to get his Man United career back on track. Because I think if he, if he impresses on Lone and Everton, then whomever the next Man United manager is going to be uh, is going to have a real decision to make uh, with Van de Beek. And if he doesn't get back into the Man United team, this puts him in the shop window for, for somebody else to come in, make a bid for Van de Beek and take him off of Manchester United's hands. So it, it, it's a win-win for, um, for everybody involved. And Van de Beek will finally get to play, which I think everybody has been wanting to see myself included. I think there's a real, real, real player in there. Um, the one that I did want to talk about, a former friend of mine, I love him dearly. The one, the only Aaron Ramsey going to Ibrox, going to Rangers. Uh, this is when I say you want the Hollywood signing of this window, this is probably it. And I know it's not going to sound all that Hollywood because it's Rangers and who cares about Rangers, right? This is a full-blown international where the top earner in the Scottish Premier League makes 75,000 pounds a week. Aaron Ramsey. I forget who it is off the top top of my head. Top of my head, I I forget who it is. It may may be Haji or uh, Tavernier, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. But Ramsey was making 450 grand a week at Juventus. He now goes to Ibrox, goes to Rangers, and he's going to be a star. He's going to be an absolute star 
at Rangers the way that Paul Gascoigne was when when he arrived uh, at Ibrox as well. And I mean, I, I wrote about this in the, in the column as well. Uh, the the biggest winner here is going to be Wales caretaker manager Rob Page, who Wales have two massive, massive World Cup qualifiers, World Cup playoffs uh, at the end of March, where they have to win two matches to get into the World Cup. And if Ramsey is playing, that is huge for Wales and their opportunity to qualify for only their second World Cup. They've only qualified for the World Cup once. So if they can win both of those matches, they would qualify for the World Cup for the second time in their nation's history, which would be absolutely insane if Wales were, were able to do it. And getting Aaron Ramsey uh, some some playing time, some getting some match fitness built up for those matches is going to be absolutely huge for, for, for Wales. But I mean, we love Rangers. They're, they're a great football club. My, my former colleague, Stephen Gerrard, uh, his former stopping grounds, and now it is an ex-Arsenal uh, haven with Aaron Ramsey and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst as, uh, as manager. So I'm thrilled for Aaron Ramsey. I, I will love, love it if he has successful time at, at Rangers. I'm annoyed that it's not Arsenal, but what can you do? And uh, I'll be rooting for Wells. All right. By the way, are you wondering who the top earner in the Ladbrokes Premiership is? Yes. Yes, I am. Mohamed El Yunusi. It is El Yunusi. Yep. 59,000 pounds a week. Huh? Interesting. Yep. Very interesting. Okay. So and I got, and then I got my, um, I got my conversion wrong. It was seven, it was 75,000 euros a week. Apologies. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It is El Yunusi. Huh? Okay. For Celtic. Yep. For Celtic. Celtic has the top three. Okay. Can I have a guess as to who it is? Sure. El Yunusi. Is James Forrest one of them? No. 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 Oh, this is for 20. Nope. I am cut this part out. Why does it say 2020? Your information is no good. No, it is not. Hold on. Uh, oh, this is in dollars. Why is this in dollars? Real quick, what's... Hold on. I'm confused. On the bright side, there is a clean cut there. Exactly. Whatever. I don't really care as much anymore. By the way, the Rangers are winning. I saw. Chris Kreider scored again. Love him. What a guy. Bless him. Chris Kreider. Or it's a power play goal. Or no, yeah, Chris Kreider. It's a power play goal. It's a power play goal. 
his 32nd goal. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Chris Kreider is going to score 50 goals. I adore him. He's great. I adore the beautiful, beautiful man. I don't know if you listened to Blue Shirts Breakaway. They were talking about. I listened to it yet. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I've listened to it yet. Okay. I listened to it tonight, though. All right. So do you want to. uh, Yes. Do you want to find a a natural way to uh, to wrap it up? Yes, I can do that. That's easy. All right, well, this has been fun talking about all matters of sport. Usually we only focus on one sport on our podcast. So it's actually kind of nice that we get to branch off into the other kind of football, hockey. We didn't even touch on baseball. But uh, yeah, very exciting stuff. Yeah, and we will be talking more about uh, baseball next week for sure with, uh, with Jake. So be yeah. on the lookout for that. Because that is definitely Jake's forte. Yes, yes. He still plays baseball. Or he's still involved in baseball anyway. Yes, yes. All right, well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Basin Talk podcast. You can find all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For my co-host, Ed Birdstall, I'm Adam Pastor. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.